0: New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989 and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. In 1492, two Irish families, the Butlers of Ormond and the Fitzgeralds of Kildare, were involved in a bitter feud. The disagreement centred around the position of Lord Deputy in Ireland. Both families wanted one of their family members to hold the position. The tension broke in 1592 into outright warfare and a small skirmish occurred between the two families just outside the city walls of Dublin. The butlers, realizing that the fighting was getting out of control, took refuge in the chapter house of St. Patrick's Cathedral. The Fitzgeralds followed them into the cathedral and asked them to come out and make peace. The butlers, afraid that if they did so, they would be killed, refused. As a gesture of good faith, the head of the Kildare family, Gerald Fitzgerald, ordered that a hole be cut in the door of the cathedral. He then thrust his arm through the door and offered his hand in peace to those on the other side. Upon seeing that, Fitzgerald was willing to risk his arm by putting it through the door The butlers reasoned that he was serious about his intentions. They shook hands through the door. The butlers emerged from the chapter house and the two families made peace. The door is called the door of reconciliation. It's still in the cathedral in Dublin. And that's where the phrase chancing your arm comes from. On the 27th of June, 2012, at a charity, charity event, Queen Elizabeth II and Martin McGuinness shook hands, a poignant and a significant moment in the peace process here on the island of Ireland. A handshake, an outstretched hand, has the power to transform a life, a family. A community, a culture, and a society. What does the Church of Jesus Christ have on the island of Ireland to contribute to peacebuilding? 23 years after the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, we live with a fragile peace. On the one hand, we are grateful for an almost complete absence of sectarian killing and murder in our communities. And we strive as a community to see that absence become complete and become permanent. On the other, we each know of the continuing tensions between Protestant, Loyalist, Unionist communities and Catholic, Nationalist, Republican communities. There are still deeply contentious issues over social, political and economic matters in our communities and in our culture as well as an often deepening mistrust amongst various communities in the post-peace accord Northern Ireland and as we've just heard Nathan and Donna talk about those tensions can be replicated into different ethnicities and into different cultures and into multicultural Belfast and multicultural Northern Ireland. In an article entitled where politicians feel," storytellers address the troubles in Northern Ireland, Cahill McLaughlin commented that the Good Friday Agreement failed to address past hurts, instead focusing on governing structures, which in turn lead to a tribal approach to democracy. Add this to the frustrations around Brexit, to issues around the Irish sea border, to the growing calls for a border poll, to issues around amnesties, political leadership that is often perceived as frozen or failing, and the ongoing sense of voicelessness that is felt by working class Protestant and Roman Catholic communities across Northern Ireland. And we have a tinderbox of frustrations and challenges that is constantly in danger of explosion. Whatever the answers to this complex question of what the church might contribute to peace in this island is, one thing is clear, there can be no lasting peace in a family, in a community, in a church, or in a society without what John Paul Lederach in Building Peace describes as genuine reconciliation. Peace cannot be secured or maintained by avoiding the hard questions by ignoring the pain, by running away from the heart of the past or pretending that the wrongs that have been done were not really wrong and that the pain that was suffered was anything other than profound, personal and generationally scarring. In an article entitled Peacebuilding and Reconciliation, we read this from Benjamin Mayawanga and Sean Byrne. They say, reconciliation is part of the long-term process of establishing peaceful relationships between rival groups following any peaceful settlement of conflict. What does the church have to say into all of this? What does it look like for those that are watching tonight and attending this gathering, and you live in a community that is has both sections of society, the traditional sections, and perhaps is much more multicultural than that? What can a church community do to be a group of people who share peace between one another? Well, you won't be surprised to hear me say that the first step that we need to take, the first thing that we as followers of Jesus need to recognize, is that the reconciliation that the world needs, the peace that the world needs, is only possible through Christ's ministry to His people, and then to the world. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, remind us that we have a Savior who is the Prince of Peace and who will bring a reign of peace that will increase and grow. Peace and reconciliation are connected in the person of Christ and they are shared in the truth of the gospel. We're drawn into a bigger better story that re-narrates who we are and re-narrates how we can engage with those around us. Reconciliation is an idea that is deeply rooted, is a concept that is profoundly rooted in Christ's ministry and His call upon His people. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 20, listen to these words. This is the profound extensive and expansive vision that the New Testament had of what Christ had come to do. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have first place in everything. Now listen to this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Paul could not have been clearer. Peace can only come through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. What is the connection between peace and reconciliation? That sense of being made right with God, that sense of having a clean start, That sense of having our our own identities reshaped, reformed, and retold through the gospel leads us to become people who want to help others discover this liberating reality. That in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, Greek nor barbarian, Scythian or free, as Paul writes to the Galatians, but that we are all one in Christ Jesus. That gospel of hope, that gospel of peace invites us into reconciliation through forgiveness. Of course, forgiveness is a unilateral act. Reconciliation always involves at least two parties. God has forgiven me. If I don't accept that, it doesn't change my forgiveness, but it does mean I cannot be reconciled to Him. Peace is the bridge that we walk over when we discover that we are forgiven, that we have been reconciled, and we can find hope in Christ Jesus. The gospel is the root of all of this for us, not a social plan, not a political plan, not an educational plan. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus. I may be politically engaged. I may be socially engaged. I may be a public theologian that wants to speak into the public square, but first and foremost, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, trying to make sense of the reality of the peace that I have in God and the reconciliation that that brings to me and then is through me to the world. The cross is central. Through it, God has reconciled all things to himself. Our cultures, our ideas, our thoughts, our tribes, our identities, our futures. All is reconciled to God through that. In his letter to the Ephesians, I could summarize some of the things that Paul argues around this by just looking at one verse very quickly from each chapter. In Ephesians 1.10, we are told this, that the purpose of God in Christ is to gather up all things in Jesus things in heaven and things on earth, to reconcile them, to bring them into wholeness. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, we are told our place in that, for we are what he has made us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand for our way of life. In Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, Paul reminds the Ephesians of the expansiveness of this remarkable call to peace and reconciliation and the central vehicle through which it is brought to the world so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 10 we are told the source of this great peace, the one who enables us to share this peace and to live in this great purpose, he who descended Christ himself is the same one who ascended far above all things, that he might fill all things. How do we work out this piece in some super plan, in some kind of superstar ministry? No, in Ephesians 5.10, we're told that we are to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, a life of simple, glorious obedience in our families, in our communities, and in our society is the central vehicle through which God brings peace and reconciliation to others as we live gospel-orientated lives. And Ephesians 6.10 reminds us that this call is a spiritual battle, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in His power. I've been around long enough, I'm long enough in the tooth, to realize that all the political maneuvering and all the education and all the careerism and all the money and all the power in the world will not bring lasting peace to communities. It's only Jesus that can do that. But he has called us as his partners, as his co-workers and his vehicle to share that peace into our communities. If the reality is that Christ's transformational power sits at the very center of our lives, then secondly, our new identity, who we now are, transforms and redeems our understanding of ourselves and lifts us above simple nationalism and transplants us in a global family that is multicultural and has rich diversity and brings with it beautiful reconciliation. After having told the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.10 that they are God's workmanship, God's work of art is the original word in Greek, created in him to do the good work that he has set them to do. Paul goes on to tell them this from verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one, and he has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father." So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. It's remarkable, isn't it? Of course, Paul is talking to two groups of people, a Gentile group of people and a Jewish group of people. And he's saying to them, Christ has broken and removed the barrier between you and you too with your different cultural identities, your different backgrounds, your different ways of looking at the world are now one. What would that look like in our streets? What would that look like in Sarajevo? What would that look like in Rwanda? What would that look like in areas of tension around the world? if the church of Jesus Christ didn't only understand that through the cross we are reconciled to God and that we have peace with him, but that through the cross we can have peace with one another. We can be reconciled across racial boundaries, across gender boundaries, across social boundaries, across economic boundaries, and yes, here on the island of Ireland, across historic national identities. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he made it abundantly clear that all of his natural identity markers were secondary compared to his citizenship in heaven. He was drawn into a new family that gave him a new sense of direction. Paul David Tripp, at one time the president of the Southern Baptist Missionary Organization, said this, the church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he designed. If it is true that the cross reconciles us to God and then enables us to be reconciled to one another, then it is lastly true that this new identity, this peace, this reconciliation that is given to us also draws us into a better hope, also draws us into a better story in the midst of their exilic encounters, wondering whether who they would ever discover again who they were, struggling with the cultural and boundary markers of their society. God, through the prophet Isaiah, said this to the Jewish people, That there would come a day, in Isaiah 11, that the wolf would lie down with the lamb, that the leopard would lie down with the kid, that the calf and the lion and the fatling would lie down together and a little child would lead them. Could there be a greater, stronger, more beautiful, more powerful picture of reconciliation than one in which the very creation is reconciled? The very creation finds peace in a week when we have heard of the profound dangers facing our climate and the challenges that are facing the generations that come after us and the generations that come after them. What hopefulness we find in Scripture that says, if God's people respond to his invitation of peace, and if we become people who share that peace with one another, then the very planet, the ground upon which we walk, the air that we breathe, the created order in which we find ourselves can be transformed. This, sisters and brothers, this is the hope that lies at the beating heart of the gospel, that God has brought peace to us through Christ, that God has reconciled us to one another through Christ, and that God calls us to be reconcilers to the world through Christ, to carry a message of hopefulness, that disintegration, that the lack of peace, that trouble is not what we were made for but that Christ's peace can reign in us and through us. Let me think with you about reconciliation for a moment. There are three ways in reconciliation between communities, between families, between societies, between people, need to be evidenced. There are three things, many things, but there are three things that are important that I want to highlight for a moment. Firstly, in an overarching sense, to be reconciled means that we must have an encounter with someone else that names a painful past on the one hand and searches for the long-term interdependent future that we have on the other. Superficial peace will only ever bring superficial solutions. If in Northern Ireland, if on the island of Ireland, if in our families, if in our workplaces, if in our churches, we want to have genuine peace, then we need to be willing to have the hard conversations about why we don't have peace right now. We need to name the loss, the sorrow, the hurt, the disappointment or the wrong. Secondly, reconciliation provides a space where truth and mercy meet. There is something powerful about simply hearing someone else's story. And there is something powerful about them hearing your story and then working out where you go from there. And thirdly, the peace that God offers us and asks us to create and to be part of across communities recognizes the need to give time and space to both justice and peace, where redressing the wrong is held together with thinking about a common future. What role does the church have in peace? Between the communities in Northern Ireland. It was in a church in Munich that Corrie Ten Boom first saw him. A balding, heavy set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. Here's her story People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat German, to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins... I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, and they are gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps, and in silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking past this man naked. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, Holland, and this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner amongst those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out, but to me it seemed like ours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I've ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that the message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained trapped by it. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion, I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but you must do the rest. And so wooden, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to mine. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. A handshake, an outstretched hand, has the power to transform a life, a family, a community, a culture, and a society. I said that 20 minutes ago. I said that on Monday night. And I say that again to you tonight because God's hand has been outstretched to us. And in receiving His hand, we are enabled to outstretch our hand to others? Could God, the creator of the universe, now give us the courage to stretch out our hands again to someone from whom we have been estranged? Could God ask us, his people, to be a community with outstretched hands? Hands Across the Divide is a sculpture in Londonderry created by Morris Haran and erected in 1992, it stands on the western side of the Craigavon Bridge and symbolizes reconciliation between both sides of the community. Could we respond to God's outstretched hand by becoming a people who stretch our hands across the divide? It could start with a phone call. It could start with a card. It could start with a coffee. It is hard, it costs. It may take years of hearing and telling stories, but could the Church of Jesus Christ offer our communities the space to tell their stories, to hear someone else's story, and to root our future, not just in where we have been, but in where grace and mercy might take us? Could we be the hands of Christ to our communities. Are we willing to try? Amen. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.